Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Today on Off Tackle Empire, it's yard work season in full swing across the Big Ten footprint, and the conference's teams have ready-made levels of interest to suit your fancy. If you really do need to get those leaves raked, we can refer you to Northwestern, Michigan State, Nebraska, Indiana, Iowa, or Rutgers. If complete procrastination is more your bag of yard ways, consider ranked teams such as Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Illinois. And if a nice, steady half-assing is your preference, consider dropping or picking up the rake accordingly for Purdue, Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Maryland. And uh, for restful repose, there's Ohio State and Northwestern, two teams with identical vibes right now because there's just kind of no pressure on anybody. But there is a lot of pressure on you to get those leaves raked. Will you give in this week on Off Tackle Empire? Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. <clears throat> I've just completely exhausted my voice uh, screaming about Big Ten football as it was happening in front of me, uh, which I think is probably about the most appropriate response that there really was to uh, the events that unfolded in Champaign. But I've got to leave those behind me because for our humble Big Ten football podcast... It is time to preview week seven. We're more than a, we're getting to be a third of the way through the conference season now. And uh, as always, I'm joined by Andrew Koshevsky. My name is Steve Braun. I just recently changed my my Twitter handle to um, Thick Bupkis for I don't know. I didn't feel like changing it to something spoopy. Um, but anyway, before we get to the Week 7 preview, it's time to talk about what else happened in all the unimportant places that are outside of our conference's purview. So uh, Oklahoma State is taking control of the Big 12, which of course, as we continue to... uh, Pending the results of this week's clash with the Horn Frogs, they may be in control of the Big 12. But as we've mentioned, the Big 12 is evolving. Some games don't reflect this, but certainly it's not just a changing of play styles, but a changing of the guard, which means that, say, for teams like Oklahoma, oh my god! Yeah, man, talk about it. It's been a long time since Oklahoma was actually good on defense, but it used to be like they had guys who could force a turnover, make a big sack here or there, like you know, the occasional pass rusher who was reasonably talented. It also barely matters when Texas has Bijan Robinson and a pretty good offensive line, and Oklahoma has no healthy quarterbacks that can ball. Although, they did not rule out whether or not General Booty could ball because the cowardly Oklahoma staff refused to show us the booty. Okay? What the booty? We're out here like Adam Levine. Fuck. <laughs> we wanted to see the booty. Uh, I still, like yeah, The latest example of the internet getting a hold of what could have been a promising meme and just like shaking the life out of it within the first five or six hours. If it had but, happened just a little bit later, if it had happened like the day before the Texas-Oklahoma game with everybody on Twitter clamoring to see the booty, yeah. general booty, Oklahoma quarterback. We can't it's unfortunate that. what's happened with Dylan Gabriel, but... Um, I don't know if they were all that good then, and certainly, I mean, I, I don't know. I I didn't see forty nine little bit. I mean, they like, just got yeah, they completely. It's there fair was enough, just nothing left. Yeah, it's fair enough to say that Sarkeesian's doing the most he probably could be 
with what he picked up at Texas, but 49 nothing, yeah, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I mean, I think the spread in this game was like Texas plus 10 or minus 10 or something like that. So. Uh, Bill Conley had to publish a whole thing explaining, <coughs> no, you don't understand. My model does not take into account the possibility of a program falling this far this fast. <laughs> yeah, well, because he bakes previous year's results in. So the fact that a team used to be good, it, right, it's he's going to have to make some tweaks for that to account for like magnitude of roster turnover in the portal era, man. Cause, yeah, actually, yeah. As we, we keep saying, if things can fall apart faster than ever now. Yeah, we didn't think it would happen. Like, this again, a, a new case study of, of it happening to somebody like Oklahoma. Like, there is nobody who is truly safe from becoming a UConn in this world of college football. If your coach leaves... They won't stay this bad for very long. No, they can't. Right, because the, the name brands are always going to have an easier time rising back up. They'll always have the fan interest, the better resources... Recruits will be interested because their parents remember the school being good. Like, yeah, but for right now, they're eight point favorites against Kansas, and I'm picking Kansas. Yeah, that feels preposterous. Even with Kansas finally dropping game, I don't know if Jalen Daniels is going to be cleared to play. He was out for most of the game. Mr. Bean did a good job in relief of him. But if you need any more proof of our thesis that the Big 12 is now the old Big 10, look no farther than Kansas State's 10 to 9 victory over Iowa State with no touchdowns after the first quarter. You can take Adrian Martinez out of the Big Ten, but you can't take the Big Ten out of Adrian Martinez. I really hope they did take the Big Ten out of Adrian Martinez, though, because if what you're saying is we're going to be adding Kansas State, I'm going to walk away from the entire concept of college sports. So elsewhere in the country, UCLA continues their please don't change your mind and leave us out um, season as they move to 6-0 and on the year. I still I'll admit that, it, I was wrong to dismiss them a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, I, I'm i going to be careful about making too many big picture inferences here, though, because I think the most likely outcome in the future is Dorian Thompson-Robinson and his, like, 10 jillion snaps and Chip Kelly system leave before they come to the Big Ten, and then they have to, like, I let's, let's see if they can sustain this. Um, they, but again, as we mentioned, they are recruiting at a level commensurate with what they were doing at Oregon, so it's... Not out of the question that there's a real second act for Chip Kelly here. Right. Nobody's pretending, well, they are pretending that USC might do this, but nobody's pretending kind of like Nebraska was when before they joined the, oh man, going to come in and dominate. Conference. Okay, yeah. probably, I mean, Ohio State, you know, that's going to be a close game. I don't know. Michigan at this point, that was the tail end of the Rich Rod era. So, you know, Penn State, it's always pretty good, but no, no, how long that'll go. Nobody else we're ever going to lose to. And I think they lost to Northwestern in like their second year in the... Yeah, and and then the one thing I have to kind of chide our usually very reasonable Nebraska contingent for is when they try to pretend that nobody said that. We never predicted we were going to be good. We never said we were going to dominate. Like, you personally might not have. You are not Nebraska fans, though. So so. I'm sure that USC people are, are saying that, but like... What do you think is the benchmark? What do you think is going to be the loss that both of these teams take that's going to be like, oh, okay, no, that's not what's going to happen? Minnesota. <laughs> it's going to be a Big Ten West team. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be one of the one of the runny, rolly, not very fast. Yeah, and they're going to they're going to come in thinking uh, we're going to throw all over this team. They've never seen a quarterback like ours. You know, Ohio State is still in this conference. Um, so, so hey. Yeah. Elsewhere in the Pac-12, a ranked team fell to a post-firing zombie squad again. Washington lost to Arizona State, gave up 45 points. Yeah, that's a loss that's aging like milk. Uh, it, zombie coaches. Georgia Tech is 2-0 since firing Jeff Collins. We already covered Mickey Joseph at Nebraska. 2-0 in Big Ten games. <laughs> yeah, and you, you referenced the situation in the recap episode. I didn't know then, and I still don't know, and I can't be bothered to look up who the interim at Georgia Tech is. Could not care less. I don't. Don't tell me. Don't look it up. I don't need that information to enter my brain. I only have so many neurons left that are unoccupied. Memphis blew an impressive twenty-six to seven fourth quarter lead, which was also thirty-two nineteen with under two minutes to play against Houston. Clayton Tune has been there forever, and he finally did something worth remembering. Uh, you know, considering that they started the season ranked and have now slid to this point, I think the window to do something worth remembering may have been washed away by the angry wave earlier in the year. LSU fans are mad again, speaking of angry waves. 
I can't wish I could do the same thing. Jack Cajun pig guy. Such a perfect. I don't know if we mentioned that before. You may have to drop that into the article. I'm going to embed that in the article. You may have to. Because uh, <laughs> there's multiple clips like LSU fans when Brian Kelly wins the national championship. LSU fans when Brian Kelly loses his first game. It's like there's. Yes, it. You're going to have to go to the article for this one, which we think it'll No, be you know what? I can also just drop the soundbite in there of oh. LSU fans after Brian Kelly's first loss. <laughs> I think that it loses something without the animation to go with it. But anyway, fair enough. I don't know why you'd be mad when Tennessee is actually good for the first time in like 25 years. Hendon Hooker is going to be an NFL-type player. Finally, they have a coach who's not such a dingus that he can't make use of the massive talent base they have. Um, By the way, that's if you're wondering, because Oklahoma fans are already firing up the coaching search oh thread. Boy. That's <laughs> sure. They yeah, are. it's all Josh Heupel all the time. They're furious they let him get away. They fired him as offensive coordinator too to hire Lincoln Riley. So, oh my God, that's right. I forgot yeah. about. I for some I had it in my head that he just left for the UCF job. No, he got of his fired own, of his own accord. But that did not happen. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm he was sure the quarterback he, yeah. when they won the national title last back in 2000. Right, and I'm sure oh, I, I I can see the post on the message board already. Just got to back up the Brinks truck and manage John Mater. He'll come running right back home. Never mind the fact that you fired him. He's not going to play for you. Which is also true of Brent Venables. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then I can see it. You can see it now. They somehow managed to pay Josh Heupel's massive buyout, get him to Oklahoma. <laughs> he loses badly in week one. This and the message boards are going, oh, turns out it was all Heupel, no substance. <laughs> The same message word that produced, oh, great, another Brent Vulnerable special are going to be hard at work on that one. Still the greatest fan board invented nickname for something. They're usually very, very dumb and meatheady. Anyway, someone was going to lose to South Carolina as a top 15 team. Apparently it was Kentucky's turn. Yeah, Kentucky's still ranked number 16 in the country. Uh, I don't necessarily know why. Um, I I have to say that I thought... Given the way they've recruited recently, that losing Wandale Robinson wouldn't totally disassemble their offense, given they had Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez coming back. Uh, they are not the same team they were last year. Losing to a South Carolina, um, they've got a lot of difficult games left on the schedule, too. Uh, I was sure that this was going to be the next coach to go. I think if Louisville had lost this week, we probably would have seen another firing. Scott um, Satterfield. Yeah. He, he continues to find his way out of jams here. Apparently so. But it, it it sounds like a lot of that fan base hates him. Um, and it's true. Like, when Malik Cunningham is healthy, that offense is a hell of a lot of fun to watch. But it's also mostly made of Malik Cunningham. So when he's not healthy, which is a lot because he is the whole offense. It is. It feels like a very pale imitation of the second Bobby Petrino era there. it's Yeah, it's not unlike... Complete yeah, with the yeah. Lamar Jackson knockoff. Mm-hmm. Cunningham's probably about, on his best day, you know, like 65 or 70% of Lamar Jackson. So it would make sense that on their best season, Louisville's about 70% of Petrino Louisville. Uh Elsewhere, Colorado State off the schneid, so the only one left in FBS, I believe, that's Windows is FBS, Colorado. Yep. <laughs> God. They have scored 67 points through five games. And so we've... You are probably the only one I've heard mention this, but a natural potential for the Colorado job would be Illinois defensive coordinator Ryan Walters, very young. It is alma mater. He's done a really, 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 really good job with Illinois' defense. I mean, somebody's going to hire him away is the point. But Just don't go back. Like, I get the connection to alma mater. I do. Um, but it's, it's like if you're from a hometown that's kind of not great and you have the urge when you're young out of college, like, oh, I should go back and help bring town X out of the gut. Like, it's, you're probably going to regret it. You're probably going to end up resenting the place that you're from. If you go there, and for reasons really outside your control, you're not able to make it work the way you thought you would. Don't do that. Go somewhere better. There's gonna, There are so many jobs. I mean... You hear that, Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> I know. That's the exception that proves the rule. I know. Yeah, and remember, 
going into year seven, it sure didn't look like he was going to succeed in any meaningful way. So, uh, yeah, for every Jim Harbaugh, there's a half dozen Scott Frosts. Scott's Frost? Scott Frost? Scott. Snowman. Is that the poor old? Okay, yeah, we'll take that. So, we move on to this week, and we will be joined by one of our Penn State contributors, Mr. Evis, a.k.a. Ellie. We'll bring him in shortly and run through the week that will be in the Big Ten. So, welcome aboard, Ellie. And to get right down to business with our Week 7 slate of Big Ten games... Well, the uh, Harlem Globetrotters, as far as Fox is concerned, Michigan is, of course, playing in the big noon time slot, as is tradition. So the question is, what cupcake are they going to eat? Oh, wait a second. No, it is Penn State. <clears throat> yeah, only maybe get to 6-0 and for Michigan before they actually play a team that'll finish in the top 50, 60, 70 of any advanced statistical rating you want to look at. That's not fair. Maryland could be in the mid-60s at the end of the season. But still, fair to say Penn State comes into this game a good deal more battle-tested than Michigan. That opening night nail-biter against Purdue, going to Auburn, even a depleted Auburn team that's not its usual feisty self, still a much better prep for this game for Penn State than Michigan has had. Fair to say, Ellie, do you feel Penn State's about as ready for this game as you can be? Um, The only thing that could probably make them more ready for this game is is if they had actually lost to Northwestern, because then they would have followed their pattern of losing a really dumb game right before or right after one of the biggest games of their season. So he's saying that he would have called for the Northwestern loss. Look, they tried. Five turnovers is a hell of an effort. And that Northwestern was so rude as to refuse that courtesy. Kind of justifies, you know, when they finish 1-11, I don't think anybody outside that fan base is going to be especially sad to see it. So, obviously, probably the most talented matchup we've seen in terms of NFL prospects in the league this year because of course it's the first one involving these two teams and or Ohio State so are there any particular matchups on either side of the ball that you're looking for as a big advantage for Penn State um I'm I'm interested in seeing how the Michigan defensive line will will fare against this suddenly not complete and total garbage offensive line from Penn State. Um, I know that Nicholas Singleton has made the line look a lot better than it probably is, but Catron Allen is a completely different back than Singleton, and he's been able to get um, going whenever Singleton has not. So, um, you know, aside from the fact that they complement each other pretty well, um, Ojabo and Hutchinson are, are not walking through that door or running on that field. Um, so, so I'm definitely interested to see how that goes. I'm also interested. Well, my question is this about Singleton. Um, the Northwestern game was kind of the first stat line that he put up in his very young career that like didn't particularly look too impressive. Would you say that that had a lot more to do with kind of the game script where it was obvious that Penn State, after a certain point, did not want to put the ball in the air? Uh, because for that game, right, he wasn't called Nicholas Home Runnington or Tripleton. He was just a slap hitter. He was just getting these singles, getting on base. Um, I think I think that was his freshman moment, right? Every back sure. fumbled the ball in that game. Four out of the five turnovers came from the running backs. And of the backs, two of the fumbles were singletons. So I would say that just he had an off day. Um, and as a result, he basically rode the bench from minute 20 until minute 55. 
So um, I I wouldn't put too much stock into his performance against Northwestern. And as we all saw, or maybe just me, because I have to watch, you know, they were basically swimming by the by the halfway mark of the <laughs> of the game. So you know, uh, it it I wouldn't take too much um, for any individual player. What I will say is this: twenty twenty one Penn State loses that game. 2020 Penn State lost that game and probably 2019 Penn State comes just as close to losing, if not losing outright. And part of the reason why they didn't lose this time around is because of the backs. Uh, Even with the fumbles, they were able to keep Penn State at arm's length. Um, so I, I'm not putting too much stock into his performance, uh, or Allen's or Kevon Lee's for that matter, who finally came back from injury in this game. Yeah. As you mentioned though, I, I, the step forward from the Penn state offensive line this year, I think has been real. The level of talent in the offensive skill group, especially in the running back room is higher than it was, but Olu Fashanu has been a revelation. I mean, he's now being consistently mocked in the tail end of the first round as maybe like the third or fourth tackle off the board. He's solidified this offensive line in a huge way. And Michigan's defense is certainly not what it was last year, at least not quite yet. They're getting some signs of Iyabi Aoki, this big-time former five-star transfer they picked up kind of on the eve of the season it went overlooked a lot but a hugely talented guy it looks like they're eventually going to get most of his potential out of him but certainly not the same pass rush threat they had with Hutchinson and Ojabo last year so a better Penn State offensive line a less ferocious pass rush from Michigan I have to feel like in terms of the trenches it's going to be a lot more tilted towards Penn State than last year. I will say that when Michigan has the ball, that offensive line against this front for Michigan is going to be a fantastic clash. Um, Penn State's front has very has very capably replaced the pieces they lost last year. Linebackers are looking better than I think most people would have thought Anyone? coming into this year. Is that fair? That is that is certainly fair. We all were basically clenching our butt cheeks. Can I say that on air? Um, I, we say <laughs> many worse things. When it came to the linebacking core and when we saw that um, Jonathan Sutherland was actually going to start at linebacker, we're all basically assuming that they just gave up. And as it turns out, they've done pretty well. Um, Abdul Carter has been a revelation, uh, true freshman, and he's just yeah. come into the scene. Curtis Jacobs basically picked up right where he left off in the outback ball. And the aforementioned Sutherland is actually not a liability, which um, helps. Uh, and then, of course, you know, if we go beyond the linebackers, the secondary is there are two first rounders in the secondary right now and um chop robinson everyone expected him to kind of work his way into their rotation hopefully by the end of the year beginning of next he'd be you know a, a staple but he decided to just do that from game one so his presence along with pj mustafer coming back and easing his way into into form has definitely made the defense basically not even miss a step. And, you know, what the craziness that Manny Diaz likes to operate has made it so that, sure, like last season, teams will get their yards um, in between the 20s. But this this year, the difference is that there's going to be a couple of turnovers um, in there, and they're still stout in the red zone. So um, I'm pleasantly surprised at how well the defense has adjusted under Manny Diaz and how people seem to just completely have stepped up um, and replaced all the pieces that left. And as we know, uh, 
there were seven of them that opted out of the bowl game. So it was not a trivial amount of people that they lost on defense. Yeah. Yeah. And to put a bow on that, Carter, unless I misremember wearing the number 11, which has some significance for Penn State as a linebacker number. And I, yeah, it's no small coincidence. I know who he reminds me of when I watch him. It's Navarro Bowman. So to see that out of a kid right away, yeah, you, you certainly expect big things. Indeed. He, Let's, he's, he's done great. And so we've kind of previewed this up and down the, the betting line. Actually um, opened up a little bit towards... Michigan started at five and a half. The latest, latest thing that I'm seeing is six and a half. They are at home, so that's usually worth about three to five in college. If you were to pick a final score for the game, what would you expect to see? Um, well, this that's a great question. I'm gonna I'm gonna say 27-21, and I'm a Penn State fan, so obviously it's gonna be 27-21 Penn State. Um, it's going to be a fun game. I will say one thing, though. If Michigan did the thing that they have done in the past couple of weeks of scoring really quick, then going on vacation for half the game, then coming back at the end, then it might be more like 34 to 10. But I don't expect they will do that because they'll get up for this game just like Penn State will. It's going to be close throughout, and then a late touchdown uh, will seal it for the Lions. Yeah, I will say that Michigan's offensive line does give them the ability to really lean on you. And when they're playing with a lead, it can feel tougher to come back knowing that they can and will take their time, happily move four, five, six yards at a time. You get their defense plenty of rest in the process. Yeah, exactly. And so while the defense is not as deep, again, if you do allow them to play with a lead, if you're in a pass-happy game script, that'll be to their advantage and probably something that would be a little bit more likely in Michigan's favor than Penn State's. But I think this is a pretty evenly matched game that the Vegas line has moved in that direction. It moves me surprisingly a little bit, but Michigan is a big public team, so it's not really out of line. Other noon game in the conference, and Ellie, you're welcome to stay with us if you want, or you can drop off and we'll just carry on. Uh, Minnesota at Illinois... Um, fighting Illini giving six and a half at home for homecoming. Sorry, Minnesota at number 24, Illinois. It's not just the first time they've been ranked in the, in the history of this podcast. It's also the first time they've been ranked since uh, the Champagne Room was launched in 2012. Um, so it's so really, really a whole In case they if lose... I, if I may, Steve, Steve, if I may, if I may, if I may. So what you're really saying is being a champagne room contributor yourself, I believe. All this gesturing to Illinois over the last 10 years is your fault. (laughs) (laughs) 1,000%. Look what you did, you you little jerk. (laughs) There's about 2% of me that truly in my soul believes that, and every now and then at the end of a game, it comes out and screams at me. And uh, you, you, you... uh, I, I guess if that doesn't apply to you, then I guess you're just a mentally healthier sports fan than me. What can I say? Um, but in any case, I got so greedy with my experience last week in Champagne that I'm double dipping. I'm going to this one again. I've had this book for longer, but still. Um, the 11 a.m. traditional homecoming kickoff, not necessarily because we want it that way, but because, you know, generally not seen as a. Thing you want to air in prime time later. How is he going to get Beth Mullins on your homecoming call if it's not the 11 a.m. game on BTN? And so it's going to be Mo Ibrahim and Chase Brown. And that's going to be what you're going to see on virtually every snap because Chase Brown leads the nation in carries. And the only reason Mo Ibrahim isn't up there with him is because he's missed time. Do we know is Ibrahim going to play? Yes, that's confirmed. Okay. I did see. said so in his uh, conference today. Shortly before I left to come over here, I did see on the bottom line of ESPN, no less, Illinois QB Tommy DeVito's status unknown. He could be anywhere. They're giving me updates on Illinois' 
quarterback on ESPN's bottom line. Like, uh, it's, it's usually just, you know, this team at Illinois, uh, their running back has this many yards, and they're like <laughs> 20-something point favorites. Uh, so anyway, Brett Bielema was much more coy with the injury status of guys. Our buy is after this week. I feel like I feel like Tavito is probably not going to play, but uh, he sure is talking about things as though Sitkowski is going to start talking about how much a full week of practicing with the ones would theoretically be of a big benefit of Sitkowski because some things were, you know, just not in the kind of rhythm that you'd expect from a guy who's, you know. It looked more like a backup quarterback as far as just how in sync they were with the ones. But, you know, you'd expect that if a guy were to practice with the ones all week and prepared to start, that it might look a little better. And, of course, somebody then asked him kind of straight up, but it, but is he going to start? To which he was kind of <laughs> like, well, I mean, I, well, look, all I can say, ah, you almost got me. Nah, I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> At least he was less of a dick about it than Lovey. Um, he has not specifically confirmed or denied anything. That being said, uh, Sitkowski can hand the ball off just fine. What he can't quite do is get the first downs on the option um, based on his quarterback draw against Iowa, which was nearly a calamity. Yeah, he had a long way to go on that. I think as long as you're not asking him to pick up seven, eight, nine yards out of an empty set. He does set. have adequate wheels. I'm not going to disrespect him that much, but... It, it, he's a big dude too. Yeah. Like it, if you have to get him to push a pile on a fourth and short or something, he should be fine with that. We think... really should run the sneak with him. Yeah, I will say I, that. that's what I mean. He's the guy we should run the sneak with. But and I don't think there's a game script where if you're throwing the ball more than twenty times with him that that's going to go well. But that's the case for Minnesota and Tanner Morgan too. And, and just the more I think about the extent to which he lit Michigan State's defense on fire. That's that was when I that's when I checked out. I knew for sure like we are hopeless. There is no retrieving this defense this year. So Purdue locked him up pretty good. Yeah. And it's Purdue's defense is definitely an order magnitude better than Michigan State. They're not a shutdown outfit like an Illinois or an Iowa has been this year. So that yeah. Did he have three interceptions but against if, Purdue? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he was terrible. A fully healthy Minnesota running attack will be the best Illinois has faced. They've been very successful against the run. They've also been very good at rushing the passer. Uh, they've not been quite as good at covering the pass, but those two things can do a lot to make up for that. And I'll tell you, Minnesota's pass catchers are nothing special. I would take Illinois' set over them any day of the week. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it'll be interesting because these are coaches that kind of want the same thing out of game scripts for the most Mm -hmm. part, which is they want to be running the ball down someone's throat. Bielema keeps saying every time Chase Brown gets a lot of carries that we don't want to give Chase Brown that many carries, but sometimes we just got to do it. It's like, don't lie to yourself. Yes, you do. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, a a two-and-a-half-hour runtime on the game. Like... They're not looking to be a full Avengers movie length of the entire game, quarter to quarter, you know, whistle to whistle. So, some things we'll have to, you know, I mean, God, the fumbles are again another thing because it was it was two fumbles, 
Isaiah Williams has been a very good punt returner. I was very surprised to see him muff that one that badly. Um, but the turnovers, again, seem to be created a lot more by random chance than just by executing things poorly. Uh, Sikowski's interception was a really bad one. <laughs> yeah, that, okay. that notwithstanding. Yeah, but uh, but it, it feels like... Uh, one of the things Illinois got cleaned up against Iowa was the punting. Hugh Robertson was outstanding uh, for as much of a liability as he, as he had been in a couple of early games. He was phenomenal in this one. So what can I say? It's going to be another Big Ten West game. Uh, Minnesota's certainly got more of a defense. They've also got a, a pretty good secondary. Um, Minnesota does have much more of an offense than Iowa does, which is not saying much because so does Northwestern. So I, I think really my don't children I think... have a better offense than Iowa at this point. <laughs> There's there eight, seven, high? and two. No, three. Eight, seven, and three. They definitely have a better offense than Iowa at this point. <laughs> uh, as far as predicting this game, yeah, the Vegas Lions opened around three and a half for the home team, now out to six and a half. I doubt it's going to cross the full touchdown margin because these are, again... Pretty similar teams that play a low-scoring style. Like the odds that it gets more than one score in either direction, I think, are pretty slim. But suggest that the people who make their money betting off this have put it in such a way as to you know, suggest Illinois is going to win, at least by more than a field goal. Well, um, what, I'm, what I've been seeing for several games now for, uh, you know, per, per Bill Conley stuff is that Illinois has been... Um, Outside of Chattanooga, they were supposed to lose all of them. So, accounting for things that happened last year might miss the force with trees a little bit if you don't understand what it does to your model. But, uh, I, I mean, certainly, I would th- if it were 7.5, I would absolutely smash that for Illinois um, as a 7.5 point underdog. No, you're 6.5 point favorite. Really? That surprises me. That is not what I've seen. I may have looked at it backwards, but I'm fairly sure you were weighing six and a half. Because we, because our opponent does not have a fatal flaw like Iowa. <laughs> That's the conceit there. Um, okay, no, I'm seeing line Minnesota six and a half. I may have, there was there were a lot of games on the screen, and yet another. Yet another sub-40 over-under. I mean, you're not going to play the over on that, are you? Hell no. Uh, again, an opponent without a really necessarily a fatal flaw, but one who, if you can neutralize their strengths effectively enough, doesn't have a lot of other ways to beat you. I mean, they're, by their strength, I mean their rushing game. If you can shut down their rushing game, like as Purdue did, uh, Purdue had some help from... Ibrahim's absence, so I, I, I really don't know. It's going to be a really big test for the defensive front of Illinois, and I certainly hope they can pull it out. The last homecoming game that my wife attended was uh, Illinois as big underdogs against a Minnesota team with a head coach that, you know, was very popular at that time in Minnesota. At that time... They never chin their back on somebody who they used to cheer for enthusiastically. I can't see that happening. It doesn't sound like them at all. Moving on. Afternoon slate, Maryland at Indiana, where the Hoosiers are laying 10.5, if I read the line correctly this time. Um, line has moved towards Indiana, opened at a 13.5. But again, I, it's been a long week already. Maybe I just got that completely wrong. Anyway. I don't gamble, so I don't know why I even mention these lines. I think it's just to give an impression of what Vegas would want you to think is the appropriate spread. But anyway, Indiana's secondary, which is theoretically the strength of the team, was worked over pretty well by Michigan, especially with their tight end and their sort of sharp running, possession-ish kind of receiver, Schoonmaker and Bell, respectively. Maryland's had a couple of big games in a row now from Coy Deitches. They're really their only tight end who plays. And they certainly have a number of good receivers. I wouldn't say any of them are as sharp of a route runner as Ronnie Bell, but I would also, at this point, take 
Tungavailoa over J.J. McCarthy for integration with his system and his receivers. So I think I would like the the ability of Maryland to move the ball consistently, maybe not explosively. Indiana does still have a decent defense, but consistent theme for the Hoosiers this year has been they cannot run the ball. Maryland's defense is good enough that I don't think Indiana's going to have any success there. Really, the only game, or maybe I'm misremembering this one, but the only games where Indiana had a success on the ground were Western Kentucky and Idaho, lower division quality opponent, especially on the defensive side. So they're not going to run the ball. I don't like the idea of Basilak trying to keep up with Tongo Vailoa blow for blow. That doesn't seem like a winning game script. Short, long story short, I don't think there is a winning game script for Indiana in this game. I don't think there's going to be against many opponents the rest of this year. So I mentioned in our preview, you know, in our recap podcast, uh, Connor Basilek's insane volumes of attempts. What I didn't mention was the yardage, which is a hair under 1,600 which over a 12 game season is a hair under 3,200. Which is kind of not that much. <laughs> which is 5.4 yards per attempt. Oh my God. That's less than Chase Brown has rushing. And like, he's not really the most efficient rusher. No, not at all. Oh, jeez. That's because I remember last week, I, for whatever reason, I got into a rabbit hole talking about, like, hey, been these two Big Ten quarterbacks since these stats were this detailed that had more than 450 pass attempts with less than 3,000 yards, and they were Wes Lunt and Brett Bassanet. But it uh, feels like with Indiana's best, uh, with, with Indiana's most favorable matchups behind them, he could also finish the season with less than 3,000 yards. That's conceivable. You know, I do think the inevitable, like the, if you view, if think of this podcast as a star, our inevitable white dwarf slash red giant conclusion phase is turning into guys naming guys, guys just reminiscing about guys. I find myself getting lost in sports reference databases a lot. Already, just, yeah. Well, I mean, generally, though, looking back and finding, like, stat lines that, like, wait, wait, how in the hell did this happen? Not really good ones, but extreme outliers. Just wait until we, and especially you, are old enough that you have a lengthy catalog of guys you've seen and remember playing even from a long time ago, who you can then connect to these numbers. Like, imagine the power you're going to have as a guy naming a guy when in 8 or 10 or 15 years you can tell your children probably about the season Connor Basilak had. Anyway, my, my point is I'm obsessed with this because I believe I'm watching in real time one of these like stat lines form that somebody... Somebody like me with with ADHD is going to like in ten years be looking through sports database and be like sports reference database and be like, wait, what the hell? How did this happen? How did he throw for this few yards on this many attempts? And why was he throwing that much with this offensive coordinator? Well, it's not complicated, really. All you have to do is look at their yards per carry against power five caliber opponents, and you get your answer for why they throw the ball so much. And in that sense, honestly. Look, our, our Indiana correspondent, Buff Komodo, was not pleased with the hire of Walt Bell as offensive coordinator. And sure, the results overall have not been promising. But the thing that we keep coming back to with Indiana, and again, like it's, it's certainly a dead horse, and I'm sorry to keep whipping on it, but the thing that we can't get over is this offensive line is not built to let them run the ball at all against a good opponent. It's just not going to happen. The much easier thing to do, you know what they're basically doing? You mentioned Bassanet. They're basically doing what Northwestern did in the late aughts, which is we can't even pretend to build an offensive line physical enough to run in this conference. So we're going to do the thing that even a, that a physical disadvantage allows us to nonetheless do, which is run a lot of four receiver sets, a lot of quick little passes. I mean, they tend to throw a lot more intermediate routes, but if they did run more short passes, you basically use that instead of a running game. And then once in a while, when the defense starts to cheat, you try a deeper shot. That's what, 
an inability to build a physical offensive line forces you to do to succeed in the Big Ten. And by the way, that Northwestern moved away from it kind of led them where they are now. So it's not the dumbest thing in the world to do for a a team with Indiana's personnel because all these transfers they brought in at the skill spots, that should be an easier thing to sew together in one season than redoing an offensive line. I hope for the longevity of his program that Tom Allen realizes that's the thing he needs to fix that so far there's been no indication they're doing so far. That's my nightly reminder to tell my wife to do her labor stretches. So sorry about that. <laughs> so you mentioned that Northwestern moved away from that. Sitting in 11th place in the all-time single season pass attempts for Big Ten is Clayton Thorson's 2018, 489. And that's probably the most successful offense they've had in recent vintage. Like since they had Coulter doing his thing, which was such a multi, like a variegated offense that it was hard to stop. I mean, him and Fenric Mark was honestly some of the most enjoyable Northwestern football I've ever seen. But now it's a, well, you can't call it. God damn, I've become guy-remembering guy. I mentioned Venrick Mark in the year 2022. <laughs> Good grief. Well, what well, have I become? You you know, my dad powers become stronger every day. You can't call any part of Northwestern's existence a Kafka-esque nightmare <laughs> because Mike Kafka can throw the ball accurately. Well, so yeah, I mean, if they get another quarterback who's actually pretty good completing short passes, it will be Kafkaesque in the sense that they understand it. So anyway, all would just to say, I can't come up with a, an especially interesting narrative for this game other than if it's competitive, it's because Maryland's pass rush isn't getting home. We're going to see the ball thrown a lot. Yes, that's almost certain. I mean, I, I would think Maryland's going to try to mix in the run. They have some running backs who are real challenging to bring down. Between Hemby, Littleton, despite his name, is an absolute dump truck. And Colby McDonald is kind of a change of pace, shiftier kind of guy. I mean, they've got some real size. That their offensive line still isn't especially good run blocking is kind of a mystery to me. And look, the only reason their game against Michigan State was competitive was because they tried to ram it in eight times on goal to go on short yardage. Indiana is absolutely capable of stopping them like that, too. If they don't get so cute with the play calling, which again, with Danny Nose is always a risk, uh, Maryland should be fine in this game. Other game in the afternoon slate, Wisconsin at Michigan State. This one actually opened up with the Spartans favored by a point and a half and swung all the way over to a seven and a half spread for Wisconsin, which is about where it should be. I don't understand how Michigan State was giving points to anyone at this point. Um, it would figure that Wisconsin fired their coach enough you know, far enough ahead of time for their interim to rally the troops, get things organized, get them back to their old selves against Northwestern. If Tanner Morgan can shred this defense through the air, Tan- or Graham, Graham Mertz absolutely can. So I don't feel especially sanguine about MSU's chances in this. Well, what do you know about their, the status of their pass rushers? Nothing. Because, that, I mean, Illinois got to Graham Mertz and forced some really bad throws. Uh, Michigan State in theory, has a pass rush. Oh, you mean, what do I know about Michigan State's pass rush? Yes. Um, no, no, because you, there were some guys that were out yeah, for a few of those games. I don't know anything because Mel Tucker is completely opaque about injuries. Supposedly, Jacob Slade was warming up, but he didn't play. I don't think there was any indication that Bogle or Petrowski played. That basically means, in terms of guys who can push the pocket, it's Jacoby Winneman and nobody else, and he hasn't done anything since the Akron game. So... It's probably, I, I don't expect it to be meaningfully improved this season, even if they get a couple of those guys back. Slade would be huge because he, while not really a pocket pusher necessarily, is an absolute wall against the run. Um, and that's still going to be priority number one is stopping Braylon Allen. So anyway, I don't think it especially matters. Offensively, they're discombobulated enough that they need the defense to get multiple stops to keep the game competitive until they sort their stuff out, and that just doesn't happen. The next time it'll happen, the next time that it does happen against a Power 5 opponent will be the first this season. Let's just say that I'm glad to be a true Detroit City fan who would never miss the team's home finale in their promotion system or their promotion season with a playoff bid pending. Couldn't be me. I know where I'm going to be. It's going to be in Keyworth. I'm not watching a minute of this game. So... That means you should be able to make it out of there in time to watch the thrilling conclusion of our night game team. It's Nebraska. 
Let's go. Seriously, the worst programming selection they could have made. Again, like, the, Illinois is presumably going to have the best crowd they've had in at least a decade in a meaningful game in the Big Ten West standings. And instead, we get freaking Nebraska again as the only night game in the conference. What are we doing here? I tailgated all day last weekend, and, and especially with some renewed interest, the tailgating scene in Illinois kicks ass. Would they really give that privilege to us two weeks in a row? Because now I'm planning a tailgate that's going to have a little less support. But it's going to be able to go for three and a half hours max because Grange Grove opens at 7 a.m. for an 11 a.m. local kickoff. I just don't. I mean, anyway. Purdue's laying a couple touchdowns here as a road team. That's already come up a little bit from an open of 12. Uh, It's... Quite a lot of points for a team that doesn't run the ball and is therefore prone to extending games, giving their opponents extra possessions. But look, if Purdue is serious about challenging for a division title, you cannot drop a game to a team with an interim coach. Oddly enough, their only success running the ball has come against Minnesota. Yeah, and but even in that game, it's not like they're getting four or five yards a clip. It was just like... They, they had, had a few big runs. Yes, they did. They broke it open late and dragged up their averages basically when the dam broke and Maccabee had a long run and then a touchdown shortly after it. But it for Purdue, I think you just can't have another one of those games where it's like, oh, uh, they only attempted to run it 14 times and they got 35 yards from their running backs. Like, you're going to need a little bit more than that. This Nebraska team is still talented enough. I'll say it as many times as I have to. They're going to put enough guys in the NFL that eventually I think I'll be vindicated with that. Um so you don't really want to give them more chances. At, you know, Trey Palmer, Anthony Grant, these are guys that can move the ball, score points. Thompson has been very up and down. I will say that. I thought he was going to be a measurable upgrade over Martinez. And there's definitely still, like, something in the Nebraska quarterback room that, like, it, maybe it's like a like a mold or something. Like, you need to check for spores, basically, at this point, as far as some of these turnovers are concerned. But... It's certainly not as bad as it ever was with Martinez in terms of the big moment turnover. Still, I think if Purdue... You know what? I I would almost set like a number here. If Purdue gets over 60 yards rushing from their tailbacks, I think they win going away. Maybe maybe even cover that spread. If Nebraska does force them to the air, even though that's kind of what they want to do is throw the ball around more than they run it, I still think that even if they're relatively successful, they're still going to create more opportunities for Nebraska to stay in the game. If Purdue loses this game... The top of the Big Ten West is Nebraska and the winner of Illinois versus Minnesota. It's a two-way tie. (laughs) And boy, will the fans of the loser of Illinois, Minnesota, and Purdue be mad at you specifically. (laughs) But you're not yet wrong. I'm I'm not yet wrong, but I also... I, I I don't have the mental bandwidth... To contemplate that I could really be right. I'm not, I, I can't allow myself to think that. I just can't. So that's the last game in the conference this week. A decent spread. Again, Michigan Penn State is by far the highest quality game, at least on paper. Illinois Minnesota may end up being the most important because honestly, I still think the winner of Michigan Penn State is just holding the number one contender spot until Ohio State belts them. But I'll say this. Art Sitkowski, Illinois is 2-0 in games in which Art Sitkowski throws exactly 19 times for less than 80 yards, has no touchdowns and a pick. The Iowa game and last year's Penn State game, he had very similar stat lines. <laughs> like, the, 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 the 0 one part of that line is, is the particularly important one. That's a quality Art Sitkowski start. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever he does hang it up, because as we mentioned going into this year, he does have another year of eligibility because of the COVID and the mid the midseason redshirt thing he did at Rutgers. Whenever he does hang it up, it is truly going to be uh, it is going to be a career retrospective of, of. He made some great throws to beat Iowa. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he did. He made some. There was much wailing and gnashing of teeth. He, uh, he hit a couple, like, fairly late. Of course, then that was on the same drive that he threw that interception, so kind of canceled out, but... Yeah. Around the country, um, Auburn still hasn't fired Brian Harson somehow. He's now outlasted a, like, 
a, a short bench, like a Gus Macker team worth of Power Five coaches, and also the first NFL coach as Matt Rule gets fired and the whole conversation about the coaching carousel in college today pivoted to, well, who's going to get to Matt Rule first? And it's like... Yes, he's, of course, number three behind the immortal number one-two combo of Urban Meyer and John Gruden for some reason. You brought the, you brought that up. Was it... I, I, I don't think they're actually serious about him anymore, but it, it was well before Tennessee had that one thing the one time. It For years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, well, you got to have John Gruden as a... Or people were just like, screw it. Got to make Give him say John no. Gruden all the money. Got to make him say no. Not a shred of evidence he would have like, been a good college coach. Yeah, and by that Even time... Even a good college coach. And by that time, he hadn't coached at all in like 10 years, and they're still clamoring for it. But anyway... So the Gruden thing is not so much serious any to, anymore, but yes, for many fan bases, Urban Meyer is still the answer. Um, Matt Rule's resume, I think, has become a lot more confusing here. We had a discussion in Slack about it, where it's he had some success at Temple. Other coaches had been successful at Temple, but really also that was before they moved to the American. And the other thing was, if you want to talk about a coach who had a successful reclamation job... Remember the position that Baylor was in after, one, the Art Bryles thing happened, and then they imposed upon themselves a Jim Grobe interim year. The, the, the roster and program that Bryles had built completely dissolved. They basically, they Bill Cubited themselves. They say, yeah, and again, this is after a major sanctions event and scandal. Instead they of basically just, gave themselves a one-year death penalty. They did, and... That rule came in and turned them into an 11-win team in three seasons, even though, again, our... It was a fairly soft 11 wins. It's still... Like, but it's still... <laughs> that's still more games than my team's ever won in a season. And it's still the Big 12. Like, it, it, it's fair to say that our Texas was down... It ain't in miracles! Yeah, exactly. To quote Dan Hawkins. Exactly. <laughs> and there's a real... Like, the Panthers were not the only NFL team that wanted him. And... It may well be the case that, like... I thought he was a weird hire for yeah. a college team because he oh, was yeah. a program-building yeah. guy. Exactly. exactly. It's like, what... Like his skill set didn't seem to translate to the NFL. I didn't really understand it. No, he was never viewed... But, I mean, the other thing is, like... I mean, he hired out Joe Brady away from LSU. Like, that should have felt like a home run. It turned out that, really, Joe Brady's success was just having Burrow and Chase and Jefferson. That'll help. That'll help. But all of which is to say that... It certainly throws a wrench in the coaching carousel. He was brought up in a lot of channels as like a guy for Wisconsin. It's like, what? <laughs> That's the one program that has connections to a lot of other promising candidates such that they don't need him. Um, that, that made you go full Skeletor there for a second. What? Yeah, exactly. No, that's, <laughs> I, that's the appropriate tone that I'm looking for here. Uh, anyway, Auburn still has their coach. A trip to Ole Miss this week might take care of that. A top 10 Ole Miss, no less. Um, Bama at Tennessee is game day this week. It's a top 10 matchup because, again, like seven teams in the top 10 are SEC now. If Bryce Young is healthy, and I have no idea if he is, nor do I care, that would be a hell of a quarterback clash. I say I don't care because I am really, truly not watching any of the afternoon games this week, especially including my own. Possibly the best game of the week is going to be Oklahoma State at TCU in a <laughs> complete reversal of a freaky Friday of their traditional roles where Oklahoma State is the stout, defensive-minded team whose quarterback is sometimes prone to screwing it up a lot, and TCU is the high-flying offense with you know track star NFL receivers, a big-time quarterback who can run a little bit as well. That's probably the best game of the week for my money. Elsewhere, major items, we have NC ranked NC State at ranked Syracuse, likely referenced in some end-of-days prophecies, so make sure you have your affairs in order, and that you are right with the God of your choice. James Madison, in their first year in FBS, has gone kind of unremarked upon, but they are ranked. Um, first year in the Sun Belt, moving up from FCS. Not many teams, like, it's, you basically have to go back to Appalachian State to find a team that stuck the transition up to FBS as well as they did. Most other teams, the first few years are rough. They still didn't do it quite this good. Yeah, I don't believe, I, I don't think Appalachian State got ranked within their first few years of being up here. For James Madison to do that already, very impressive. They go to a Georgia Southern team that, as we mentioned earlier in the recap episode, has uh, very much struggled since pulling off their coach killing in Lincoln. 
Elsewhere, Mike Leach's Klanga goes to a free-falling, but somehow still number 16, Kentucky. Oh no, it is Mike Leach's team that is number 16. Kentucky's 22. What the name of the rivalry between New Mexico and New Mexico State is, because it's going on. It's gotta be like... The Rio Grande rivalry. Does Rio Grande... Yeah, it does. It actually starts in New Mexico, doesn't it? Boy, this was uh, this was very much the the group of five version of the Crapple Cup there for a while. Yeah, New Mexico is much improved though. It's gonna be it's probably gonna be a pretty nasty beatdown this year. Um, in terms of West Coast and later time zones, USC Utah is probably gonna be the Pac-12 game of the week. Although I will say, perhaps an underrated undercard between Washington State and Oregon State. Two teams that have been better than expected. Neither of them ranked because they've each taken a couple of losses at this point. But still very much a please don't leave us behind game of the week. Um, Worth commenting that USC and Utah both ranked pretty highly as the Pac-12 gets its act together as all their teams jockey frantically for the last space on the Big Ten lifeboat. And perhaps the sicko game of the year to this point, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time kickoff. Nevada at Hawaii, two of probably the five worst teams in the country, even in a year in which Colorado has scored 67 points through five games. If you are truly the type to partake of the sickos lifestyle, you're going to be staying up till four in the morning watching this one. But if you just really like to see social upheaval, the mighty fall, then the game you're tuning into is at noon in Memorial Stadium at Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> you thought as they good. host the number nineteen Kansas Jayhawks. Your source for big Ken Kong. It's off tackle empire.